Hi, I'm Natasha. And I'm Penny. And you're listening to The Wibs, the podcast for women in business. We're here with practical, real advice to help you get ahead at work. Without the BS. We'll be the work wives you've always wanted. Let's go. Hi, I'm Natasha. And I'm Penny. And welcome to The Wibs. So today we have a very special guest with us. It's Marie Verasso, and she is the Chief Operating Officer at Utenet. So welcome today to The Wibs, Marie. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. We're so excited to have you. (laughs) To give you a little bit of context, how we came across the wonderful Marie was we were at a women's breakfast for women in the FMCG space Mm -hmm. and Marie was a panel speaker there and both Penny and I, after listening to her story and her achievements, just looked at each other and we're like, oh my goodness, if we can secure this lady for our podcast, it would be remarkable because you left us both hugely inspired, Mm -hmm. motivated and just pumped. Yes. And Marie asked me on the phone when we spoke about getting her in for an interview, what it was we found inspiring about what you were saying. And I think the best way to put it is that you were extremely vulnerable and open with your experiences, with your career path, with your journey, even throughout life. And that's something that we're all about here at The Web. So thank you so much for being a part of it today. We're, like I said, so excited to have you. So official welcome. Oh, thank you so much. This is, uh, it's my first podcast. I've been asked numerous times before, but, you know, Penny was just very persuasive. (laughs) So I had to come in and I thought, oh, what's all this stuff all about? What's a podcast? Let's get into this. I mean, of course, I know what a podcast is, but yeah. Yeah, awesome to be here. Thank you. No, we really appreciate it. And I'm excited to to get stuck into it. Look, our first question that we like to ask, just to kind of get a little bit of an insight potentially into some things about you, is if you could describe yourself as a cocktail, which would it be? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a great question. But can I say more than one? Oh, absolutely. Like if I'm if if I'm having like dares, mm-hmm. which I probably really shouldn't say, but anyway, yeah, if no, I'm no, daring no. with people, especially it. blokes, yeah. like I'll go for the Long Island iced tea. Oh shit! Because okay. I once, you know, during my time at, at Nike, there was one night in Portland in the US, in which is you know, it's Nike headquarters are there, and I bet like seven blokes that I could do more Long Island. So they got to five. <laughs> I was at number seven, so definitely a Long Island. But I do love Negronis and I do love G&Ts. Like G&T is my safe okay. drink. So, okay. you know, but a Negroni, oh, that's awesome. I'm, yeah, yeah, awesome yeah, right. drink too. Are you a lemon or a cucumber in a G&T? No, well, <laughs> if it's a Hendrix, it's okay. always cucumber. Okay, right. Otherwise, it's lemon or Lime, I couldn't care less. <laughs> what gin do you go for outside the Hendrix? I need to know. Tanqueray, Bombay. Yeah. Yep. You know, okay. like even, I don't know, Sicilian orange or something it's Ooh. called. You know, there's some that you get the flavours and Yum. ones and I've forgotten the brand. Okay. Yet, but so I think stock standard brands. But yeah. We're going to go out drinking with Marina. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know. I want to do the Long Island challenge. I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'd try. Yeah. I've surpassed that after three. That would be probably <laughs> us. They're probably the strongest cocktails you can get, right? Yeah, That's they awesome. are. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, okay. So what would be your most embarrassing workplace story? 
Oh my god, I have to think about this shit. <laughs> Not um, the Long Island I see one. Yeah, yeah, that was a trip. If it ends in the Long Island I see one. Most embarrassing. I don't know. Oh well, the, I was most embarrassing. Look, the one that comes to mind is that we were doing team activities and we were trying, like, we had on these new Nike sneakers or whatever, and and just you know there was like a track and all different activities, and one you had to sort of climb like a hill, like okay. a mini hill, you know, you so I could run up it and then you had to run down it. Okay. But I fell <laughs> running down. So that was in front of, you know, like two hundred people or whatever. So that's really yeah. embarrassing. Too small. A workplace activity story. We love that. So. I feel like all workplace activities can get embarrassing sometimes. They should. Okay. So third question, what is something in your career that you are most proud of? The one that comes to mind, what I'm most Leading a team, so I think, you know, sort of leading people and teams is, you know, that as a generalised comment, so I'll put Mm. that out there in terms of like just being able to give back to people and inspire people and even if I can't help them, that they can then in turn go and inspire their kids to study, go to university and do better than mum and dad picking an order or whatever it may be in a warehouse, just always, especially with the migrants, given that my background is it's a migrant story my Mm. parents were migrants to this country and came with nothing so that's certainly but if if I selfishly think about my own sort of story or proudest moment it was again it was a time at Nike where I had to participate in like contract negotiations with a supplier that we were using and we had to go to world headquarters to get approval to spend you know like over 50 million dollars US or something so you know so it sort of got to the second highest level board so it didn't go to the very top of the Nike Mm. board which would have been Mark Parker at the time and and his team, but it was sort of the one level down. And I prepared all the documentation and I had to, yeah, zip my mouth because there were people that were two and three levels higher than me that were there to to talk on behalf of me and I wow. wasn't even a director at the time. My boss was there, she was the director and and I guess a lot of the questions were directed towards me and, you know, and I had to answer them. But, you know, you had to feel confident yeah. in what you were saying yeah. because I was the one that put the document together so I knew my stuff, right? Yeah. So that to me, you know, and I was maybe mid-30s at the time, wow. that, that was pretty awesome to sit there with people that were, you know, many levels higher yeah. than you and where it's easy to be intimidated and Absolutely. you have to put that to one side. You can't let that be seen, you know. Especially with so much money and responsibility on the line. Like that money holds a lot of responsibility. Yeah, well. and so they needed to ensure that we knew what we wanted to do with that money, right? And given that China were in before us and they got rejected, so they had to go back <laughs> to the right. So, you know, us, Australia, New Zealand, um, that I think from a personal like achievement that was, I'll never forget that day, that moment, that meeting. Yeah. I'll never ever forget that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's to have been involved at that level. That Don't, doesn't happen. No, yeah, no, 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 that doesn't absolutely, happen. Absolutely not. Absolutely, not. especially so young. Like what you said in your career, when it was kind of like in that thirties point, where you're probably up against 
a lot of different people that have been there for years and years and years and just kind of sit in that circumstance be like, wow, look where I am. It's almost like a pinch me moment. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, they're the sorts of things where at the end, you know, you wish you'd just had a thought of grabbing your phone and taking a photo, even at the risk of looking like an idiot. But, you know, how awesome would that have been had I said, right, we need a photo before anyone leaves this room. They would have loved it. I know. But you get in your own head at that point, don't you? And you're like, oh, no, I look silly. (laughs) Even that I was told, you know, my role was not to speak. But the questions were not in a disrespectful no, 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 way, just like in just a respectful because, way. Yeah. Because there were people that, you know, that were true. It was my boss's boss whose role it was to speak in that meeting and yeah. we attended as like just really to observe and they let us attend. But then, you know, I had some of those questions directed to me and so yeah, I can't just That's say monumental, oh, it's though. your job, you know, to answer the questions. Yeah, I know. You don't want to defer and then look like you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then you, you take them up exactly. on it. Wow. Now we've kind of understood Long Island ICs, potentially a few followovers in, you know, those team building activities and a huge, huge part of your career that you're super proud of. I guess what's most important now is just for you to kind of explain your experience and kind of what's led you to your current role now. Okay. So without sort of waffling on too much, I'll try to keep it very short. So for me, supply chain's always been very intuitive, right? So Mm. my dad worked as a forklift driver and, you know, come home in the 70s with, you know, the newsletters and I would read up. So things like containers and exports and imports and Mm. planes and trains and, yeah, that language was very common to me, yeah. right? So, and I remember getting into doing a Bachelor of Economics and Commerce at Melbourne University and then I thought I'm going to take a gap year. So, and, you know, who took a gap year in the late 80s? No one did that, <laughs> right? So I took a year off and my parents were mortified because they thought I'd never go to university and stuff like that. So, no, I'll be gone, but I'm just taking a year off and I'm travelling the world. And I was 18 and got on a plane. And I oh, travelled wow. for 10 months, right? Where did you go? So I went to the US, Canada... And all of Europe. Oh, that's and really native, On my own. On your own? Yeah. Wow. On my own. So I, I went to see family in Italy and family in Canada, but um, but I did a lot of it on my own. So, you know, and came back and, you know, back then we, there were no degrees in supply chain and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah, and yeah. then I thought I'm not doing economics and commerce because that sort of led into banking. I thought, who the hell wants to work in a bank? <laughs> <laughs> so there's no way. You know, I came back with this utopian thought yeah. of the world and not so much socialist or left-wing or anything like that, but just equality for all yeah. and believed in, like, you know, the planet and, and I don't know, maybe a lot of 18, 19-year-olds believe yeah. in that sort of stuff, you know. And so then I thought, no, I'm going to go and do a Bachelor of Arts at La Trobe University As it's know, close to home and I can drive there. Arts, yeah. Yeah. So I went and done that and um, and even back then it was like, well, what really is it's a generalist degree? But And it was, you know, and then I travelled again. But my first role was using my Italian speaking language skills because I spoke fluent Italian and it wasn't really business Italian but it was conversational Italian. So I travelled again just before I, you know, straight after uni before I started working full-time. And that was always in customer service and then it was in the dispatch department and working with the transportation companies to install the microwave technology or satellite technology and then Foxtel purchased the company and, you know, helped Foxtel out. And then I started working for Oxford University Press when I was 29, 29. 
And I started as a customer service manager and then very quickly, to my shock and horror, the MD says, oh, you're the next distribution director. And I'm like, mm. what's a director? <laughs> I was 20, I was, it was just before my 30th birthday. I didn't even know what a director was. Like, yeah. what's a director? Yeah. I don't even know how to read a P&L. Yeah. I know how to put a budget together and yeah. I know how to spend money and I know how to save money. Yeah. But I don't know what a director is. I don't know what a P&L is. I, I, what are they doing? You know, yeah. so then he's sort of took me under his wing and I had an awesome team there and I lived in the UK as well. So I did eight years for the press, for Oxford, Uni- wow. Oxford University wow. Press. So I did most of them here in Oz. Okay. And then I did a year in the UK. And then I came back because I did 2005 in the UK, came back at Christmas time. So I was, you know, in my mid-30s because Dad was getting old. I lost my mum when I was 25. Oh, I'm sorry. And so she, you know, she, she died suddenly. And she was just alive one minute, dead the next. She had a massive heart attack and she was gone at 55 years of age. So, you know, I woke up one day and I thought the UK had said, look, we want you to do another year here. And I just had to make a decision. That's 78. I probably should get going home. And so I came home and then I got the job at Nike. And so even though I was distribution director for the press for seven of those eight years and I lived a lifestyle that was very privileged, yeah. right, because everything got taken care of. Okay. My rent, yeah, everything. Here I got decent money when I went to the UK. You know, the money was, like, astronomical. Yeah, yeah. Like, and um, especially then with the exchange rate and they paid for your rent, for your Blackberry, because we had Blackberries and not iPhones back then. <laughs> so I had a laptop. Covered, yeah. Everything was covered. Gas awesome, heating, incredible. everything. So, you know, every dollar was saved and, you know, so I just couldn't give a shit if I spent 20 pounds on a lunch. Yeah. yeah 20 yeah. pounds is like 50, 60 bucks. Yeah. yeah. 2005 was a shitload of money. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to New York. I went to the, you know, Frankfurt for the book fair, which had always been a dream of mine. I went to Spain, France, Italy. So I did all this travel, yeah, that year. So it was pretty privileged year. But I came back and I took a job with Nike's customer service manager. So I was going backwards. My salary halved. Yeah, I was going to say, because you were saying that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it halved, right? But I thought, oh, maybe this is an opportunity to spend more time with my father. That's nice, yeah. Right? And that was really important to me because that's why I left my career in the UK, you know, to come back home to Dad. And then... You know, sort of Nike in negotiating for the role, I just said, oh, no, you have to pay me X amount or else I'm not going to do it. And they did. They paid me better money than what they originally offered, much better money, but it was still significantly less. So money wasn't the, the motivation really for me, you know. And thereafter, I then, again, it was supply, you know, customer service and then supply chain manager and then supply chain performance. So I had these six roles in over 13 years at Nike, Oz and New Zealand, and we called at Nike Pacific and they still do, whereby, you know, every two and a half years I just had a new role. I just learned the supply chain end-to-end, which is what I was doing at OUP anyway, right? I knew the end-to-end. We set up OUP, we set up the very first publishing online bookstore. Wow. No, no publisher had done it. Wow. Was, you That's know, everyone real. thought the publishing world and bookstores all thought they were going to die this slow death because Amazon had turned up in 1996. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, everything was going to die slow. It's like, well, that didn't happen. You yeah. Know? And so we were doing same day delivery in 1999. Same day delivery. Same day delivery wow. for Melbourne. For Melbourne That's... because our DC was in Melbourne. So it was picked up by midday and they delivered. So for academic professors oh, yeah. who were ordering textbooks from, 
from us. They could just place a phone order. We'd quickly put into the SAP system that we had. That was our ERP, which we were one of the first Australian companies to have SAP in as well back in those days. And, you know, we delivered it to their department before end of day. And so you were instrumental you, in like putting that Absolutely, and the website. What did I know about what <laughs> Sometimes, like I, you've got no idea. You make it up as you're going along yeah. and you're going to stuff it up, but who cares, right? You just, it was new to everyone. Sometimes I do wonder, had I stuck to the the online web development you know, if I rather yeah, than going yeah. down the pure operation yeah, supply yeah. chain path, which is what I've done, what would my career have looked like had I stayed in that web development? Yeah, yeah. they do yeah. play in similar. Like the skill set kind of plays in both areas as well. Definitely. That digital and operations. I know yeah. in our workplace, our operations manager, she kind of works in both fields as well. Yeah. And, and like with automation, all the new things that are happening, we need that operational yeah. mindset because creatives can get, get away yeah. with exactly. themselves, and exactly. we need that brain. Yeah. Exactly. So once I'd finished at Nike, and I travelled the world with Nike as well. So very, very fortunate. Well, I say fortunate. But but I think women, we say we're fortunate, but it's, it. it's actually, yeah. you know, bullshit. Yeah, you know, it's part of the role. <laughs> fucking worked hard for yeah, it. Exactly. You know? So, you know, that's the reality. But then, you know, I left and I went to office works and ran, you know, sort of operationally ran, you know, 11, 12 DCs there around the country. And then five months after I started, COVID set in and it's like, oh shit, how do you keep these people safe? I didn't have the answers. The company didn't have the answers. So I was no one no, no one, yeah. And like, so overnight yeah. our orders tripled. So I knew we had problems three weeks before we went into lockdown, official lockdown in this country, right, when the state government in Victoria said, right, we're all in lockdown from tomorrow or whatever. Three weeks before because what the reason why I knew is because I'm bringing up the merchandise team and my support team in central operations saying shut down toilet paper on the website, right? Because Aussies had run out of bloody toilet paper at the supermarket. Yeah, there was nothing at supermarkets and Aussie consumers who are savvy, they're like, well, bloody hell, there's none left at, you know, at Coles and IGA Mm -hmm. or Woolies or whatever. Oh, shit. Straight online. Straight Straight online to Officeworks, right? So, you know, toilet paper had been sitting there for three bloody years and didn't (laughs) move because, you know, someone in merchandise bought too much of the damn shit. You know, (laughs) all of a sudden disappeared overnight and so our vans from having 64 vans on the road all of a sudden we need like 150 Mm. because you can imagine the size of 24 or 48 rolls is a bit different to three in post-it notes right just slightly different just slightly different (laughs) or to a stapler or a ruler yeah so i knew that we were going to have a lot of problems Mm. you know in terms of space availability and stuff like that and then just letting you know the the whole two-year journey that you know, I was there and I wore myself out. I can't blame anyone except for myself. I just, I took a lot on. You know, I worked 12-hour days, sometimes more than that, pretty much every single day. And I can, I don't blame office works or my peers or my boss. Or, and they're, they're awesome. They just love them to death. It's just that, you know, I should have known better Right. I should have, with all my experience, I should have known better. And I think because, you know, I didn't stay at home. I went to the 
DC and we were in the middle of a brand new project where we fully automated. We moved DCs as well during COVID and we did it oh, in 13 yeah. months. The guys actually won an award last night for oh, oh, really? one, one of the uh, yeah, that's one of the awards. So which is awesome, right? And I'm sure it'll be all over LinkedIn over the next few days. But you know, moving from Laverton to, to Derrimit, fully automated with robotics. Wow. So, you know, we did that. So yeah, and we had, you know, enterprise bargaining agreement negotiations with unions during year one of COVID. And so there was a lot going on and I wanted to keep them safe. I wanted them to be happy. I wanted them to feel secure. And I think it's just in the end, you know, you're their mother, you're their teacher, they're psychologists, you're their yeah. this. And I think I just yeah, didn't I really look much. after me, you know, and I collapsed. Yeah. You know, that ultimately is what happened to me, you know. It was so easy for that to happen in a COVID time though because I think I don't I know about everyone else, but I know for you, for me, obviously for you, you throw yourself into work when you're passionate already as, as that kind of person. And it's easy to get burnt out because that's all we were doing all day, every day. There yeah. wasn't that, I guess, that social aspect to counterbalance us. Yeah. And everyone wanted answers during that point. No one could give it. So you look to the most confident person in the room and just like kind of go for them. I remember like if somebody felt like that, like confidence, like, okay, what's going to happen? Because everyone was so unsure. I can yeah. imagine your team going to you yeah. just, uh, just just for support just support you yeah. know people of course there were team members especially in the early weeks that you know wanted to help out and do some overtime and stuff like that but we needed help and so we there was this ability to turn on the stores and uh, as online fulfillment which is you know the IT infrastructure that's required for that that was already set up so you know I hats off to Officeworks for doing that I think that's just bloody awesome that they were mm. able to do that and that helped me yeah. because it alleviated a bit of pressure. We hired Qantas pilots, you know, travel agents oh, as casual workers okay. because they were very much of the of opinion we'd rather work for a 1000 bucks a week yeah. than get $800 handout from the government. Wait, when you're at home, like there's only so much you can do. Yeah. You so, need to stimulate your brain somehow, yeah. And we just kept them in their jobs for as long as possible. So we wanted to really help well I certainly that office works of course they did as well but you know me personally really wanted the team to feel secure yeah. with their day to day and mm-hmm. you know what are we going to do if someone gets COVID and what are we going to pay and try to answer all those questions and with time yeah we got the answers but certainly those first few weeks yeah and so you know leaving then I yeah, took a break and then I just knew the guys at you tenant and thought, you know, I'm just going to go and do a day a week. And then they said, oh, we've got this, you know, we want you to come on board as a COO. And and I'm like, oh, what does the COO do? <laughs> like, I don't know what that does either. And yeah. then, you know, so, you know, I sort of my mindset was about helping them out. And then in the end, I sort of went there. But you know, I've got some liberties and, and yeah, things like I, that. I think and, it's really cool how like, when you describe your experience, you've kind of found yourselves in these hugely powerful leadership positions without like it's not like you're like what's a CEO it's a director it's so relatable because it's so true it's kind of like you just all you've done is work your ass off yeah earned it and you get to a point where instead of having to ask for it you just earn it because people are coming to you being like yeah Yeah. (laughs) please be our CEO I like that you're saying that though because I think I feel like people talk a lot of shit and they, they people think that they know what it means or they pretend like they know what it means yeah. and to be able to front up titles. and just say, well, you know what, 
I know I've been doing this for X amount of years and this is my skill set. Now, what does that title mean? Just let me know because I have no idea. I don't know. I like the vulnerability. I like what that says about you as a person where it's like you've got enough confidence in yourself to be able to say, hey, explain that to me. That's more of a confidence. That's more of like a, I know my value than, oh, I was the X, Y, and Z at blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different kind of Exactly. Way. You're holding your own in like a whole other realm, which I think is incredible. I think what I want to know next is personally I believe if you're in an operation space or supply chain management space during COVID, that is arguably one of the most difficult roles. Mm. Particularly, I think it's such a difficult space to be in during COVID because supply chain management during COVID was not easy, Mm -hmm. um, as you've just described. And even now, like the supply chain challenges that we're seeing what happened over the last two years unfold even more dramatically. Yeah, it's like a domino effect. But I guess... What I want to know is what area in particular do you feel like you specialize in? What makes you unique within this area? Ah, okay. Well, I think I'm very much a generalist in supply chain. So I know the end to end. So I'll know it from product development to merchandising to, you know, and, you know, I'm not an expert merchandiser or category buy or any, you know, not that sort of stuff, but just the end to end. I understand that. Factories for production need to place orders for raw materials yep. in order for the for the pen to be made, the shoes to be made, the socks to be made, the T-shirt to be made, whatever, the books to be printed, right, whatever it may be, right? So, you know, get that and understand all the various nodes along that supply chain because yep. supply chain is actually end-to-end. It's not operations. Yep. Operations is an aspect of yep. supply chain. So, you know, a generalist understanding. So that's, I think... Something quite unique because normally in your career you then tend to specialise in a particular area within the supply chain. And also during my, you know, time working, I've worked both as the product owner, so in the case of Officeworks and Oxford University Press where the products are ours and I ran my own distribution centre with OUP and then with Officeworks, I was running my own for the online, but also we were managing 3PLs, whereas at Nike, I was managing a 3PL. We used toll back then. So I had to manage that relationship. And so, you know, when you've got someone who understands, I know how to run my own DC and I know how to manage third-party logistics company. I know what to expect out of this relationship. I know what to expect out of the service then that I think is quite unique as well. Yeah. yeah. Because not many people tend to have that, you Mm -hmm. know. So that's, I think, quite unique. We've spoken about a few times about that generalist versus specialist kind of of role. And one thing that we've noticed just as we're growing in our careers is just the difference between as you sometimes get more senior, you do find yourself in more of a generalist role because you kind of have to oversee all different parts. Yeah, of course. And you can feel a bit, we've spoken about in the past, you can feel a bit insecure when you go into that generalist role because you're dealing with these specialists that, that they know more than you in the area. area. Yeah. So it can be quite intimidating yeah, when you're talking to them and yeah. you're the one who's kind of telling them, you know, not what to do, but you're accountable for them. Yeah. And then you're the one that doesn't really know like the ins and outs. So yeah. I really appreciate you kind of saying that as a, the unique Positive. Yeah. That that is a positive. It is a positive. It's changing your mindset around it. Exactly. And you're spot on. 
right? You're spot on because many, many times, in, you know, over the years I thought, oh, shit, I should have just picked sales and operations planning or I should have just done Niche. international freight or, yeah. you know, or I should have gone into, you know, outbound freight yeah, and yeah. road freight or yeah. I should have learned to international customs or whatever, you know. But, uh, no, I don't regret, no, I don't regret <laughs> the decisions that, I've made. I think that gives us a lot of confidence as well because for us growing in our careers, like being able to be a generalist and know that that's a, a really positive thing and, and, and also a, something that is unique that you can bring to the table because I think a lot of the time It's a skill. You're right. Yeah. I think of that. Being a generalist is a skill on its own because the ability to juggle all different specialists yeah. Yeah. and be able to kind of hold the ship steady yeah. is a real skill set. So in all the psych tests, and, you know, when they do personality tests and all this sort yes, of stuff, yes. I did all that sort of stuff at AUP and, you know, at Nike, not so much office works because we were dealing with COVID during yeah, the whole so, time. Yeah, so, you know, all of those sorts of personality tests, all of them have said no matter what they were called and no matter what the personalities were or what they named those personalities, I always came out as being like the conductor. Okay. Or, you know, the I'm the one in front of the orchestra yeah. who is conducting oh, people yeah. and making sure that people are doing what they need to be doing and sort of steering the ship, so yeah. to speak, right? So it's interesting that, you know, generalists tend to be that, yeah. right? Yeah, they and it's a skill set. It's, right. it's just bizarre to kind of think of it as a skill set, but it's it's such a strong skill set to have. That's what all great leaders have. To have a skill set that is based around leadership is is unique, but that's what makes people special. Yeah, because right? the person that knows production specifically may not necessarily be the right person to lead the team yeah. of people with production, with supply chain, with this, with that, all the way through. Brilliant. All right, so what would your top tips be to progress in your area? In supply chain? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, I think, or maybe if I keep it a little bit general, first of all, if you're wanting to get into supply chain as a career, you know, do some some study within yeah. that area, I yeah. think is probably just to give you yourself some general understanding. Mm. If you don't want to do that, you know, start at entry level, you know, whether it's straight after university, you know, you're not going to be the next best manager mm-hmm. on day one. Yeah, <laughs> that, true. that just true. doesn't happen, right? You've got to throw in the hard yards. You know, learn and be a sponge. Like we had a saying at Nike, it was, you know, around being a sponge. And so it's always about soaking up as much as you can. Learn, you know, join associations like SCLA, Supply Chain Logistics Association of Australia. And there are others. There's women in supply chain as well. So join those types of organisations and, you know, learn from others. Get a mentor as well. So they're probably my three Biggest tips, you know, just learn and be a sponge, join some sort of supply chain association and grab yourself a mentor. And a mentor doesn't need to be one person, mm, right? Yeah. You can have multiple mentors, someone that could help you with financials, someone else that helps you with, you know, pure supply chain or whatever it may be and um, all leadership and things like that. So oh, yeah, I, I did a lot of reading when I was in my 20s and stuff. I loved, and that sounds really really weird, not no. stupid, but weird. I did a lot of um, executive management reading. I just loved reading business books. Yeah, yeah. So things like Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman that came out in the 90s. It was quite a technical book. Yeah. 
I read that, yeah. right? I was 26, 27, something like that. I, I didn't even know what he was saying, but I knew that was oh, important. This, <laughs> this is important, emotional intelligence. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I've always led. I really give a shit about people. Yeah. I yeah. love people. I yeah. love I love younger people. I love women coming through. I, for me, my hope is always that if I've helped someone that they, and I actually did a, a LinkedIn post about this, but that they, you know, could do far, far better than what I could ever think for myself. You yeah, know, like imagine yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, imagine yeah. if you're able to able influence to yeah, and yeah. influence someone yeah. and they just soar in whatever it is that they choose to do, especially women, right? That's my ego trip, right? Yeah. You know, last night at the awards night, the guy sitting next to me, right, who is from Sri Lanka. Yeah. And has been in this country for 25 years. He went to university here. I gave him his first job in Australia. Oh, at wow. Oxford University Press. Straight out of the uni, I gave him his first job. And, you know, and he was sitting next to me last night because now I'm doing some work for his company. He's a supply chain director. He's been supply chain director for many, many years, right? And he'd always says, oh, Marie, I'll never forget you gave me my first chance. You've always been my guiding light and my influence. And, you know, this is a migrant guy born overseas, you know, awesome, awesome, awesome guy. And, you know, for him sitting there last night, we actually took a photo together. I've got to share it with all our other friends from Oxford University Press because we still have our group of wow. their leaders. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we still keep in contact and we still have the odd dinner. But And it was just like to hear that from him. You know, it's, it's special. Just like, yeah, oh really my special. God, yeah. you know, like that's pretty amazing. So it's not just about women. No, yeah. no, I wish, I mean, women's I wish you could important see and, and, you know, migrant <laughs> stories are important. You can just see how excited you get. Like, it's it's just you like tell how passionate you are. It's, it's, it's really nice to see when someone talks about that side of things or something they're passionate about, you can tell because it's in your whole body. It's in your whole yeah. face. You can, just, you can tell. You just light up. Yeah, that's 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 really special. I think it's a have said it before and people's skills are the most underrated sometimes, the most important. Like what you said then, that book, which I'll definitely go read or listen to on Audible, but <laughs> I'll listen to it. But it's extremely important. It couldn't be more important yeah. regardless of what your role is or whatever it is. Okay, so what would you say the biggest hurdle is that you've overcome? The biggest hurdle, so this, I've said this once before, I did sort of an interview for someone, not like a podcast, it was, you know, a webinar, you know, during COVID sort yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. I thought really long and hard about the question and, you know, and it, it's so, so true. I think for me the biggest hurdle has been the hurdle that I've had to overcome about the way I thought about myself. That's been my biggest challenge. It's not what about others thought about me, which is what, you know, I was always ready. If something didn't work out, it was I was always ready to finger, not finger point and blame verbally, but in my head, oh, you know, it didn't work out because of that or it didn't work out because of that. There was always like an external reason, right? And the, the reality is if something didn't work out, it's because I didn't have the confidence within myself or I didn't invest the time Mm. in myself. So 
for me, I've just learned, you know, I accept the past. You know, you don't, you can't change your past. You don't live life with regrets. But right now that helps me focus on, well, you know, if I'm prepared for this challenge and you've got to get out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got to get comfortable yep. with the uncomfortable, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. That's all true, that yeah. sort of, which is why I, you know, get up on stage and, you know, facilitated at a conference the other day. I, like I'd never, ever would I think three, <laughs> four years ago that I yeah. could do that sort of stuff. But I do it to challenge myself and people think I'm an extrovert and, yes, I am, but truly if I could die within, it would be so easy, (laughs) right? Like right now I'm sweating. I'm not even on camera. (laughs) Marie told us that you were feeling quite apprehensive about initially coming on here and a bit nervous about it and I just I'm blown away by it because you present so comfortably and and confidently. Yeah, It's just you would never pick it, but it does go to show that sometimes just because we project one way outwardly doesn't mean that it changes so, how we feel on the inside. I'll take that. <laughs> so, so people, so in, in my career, especially in the 90s, early 2000s and so forth, right, my yeah, first 15 years of my career, we were taught as women and, you know, blokes as well, you fake it till you make it. Yeah. yeah right? There's, you just fake it to him. And maybe I'm faking a bit of it today, you know, so that it comes across as being confident and all of that sort of stuff, right? Without a doubt. But, right, I think the last few years, and maybe it's, um, what's her name, you know? Brenny Brown or whatever. Brenny yeah, Brenny Yeah, the call to courage, whatever. Yeah, all that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff, yeah. you know, which I've read snippets of it and all of that. You know, the, the vulnerability and whatever. So it's like, well, okay, is it, do you fake it till you make it? Or do you bring in an element of vulnerability and you just say to people, oh, I don't fucking know. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know this shit. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I can make it up if you want yeah. or I can just give you my true authentic self, you know. And that I think I've always been like that, mm. you know. So I've just been really quite raw and maybe it's a bit confronting to some people as well because there's a level of professionalism but I don't give a shit and that's why I loved working for Nike because they certainly don't give a shit, right? Yeah, yeah. They're just... They embraced they'll break it. every rule under the sun, you know. I took the job, I remember, in, you know, when I got interviewed early 2006 because there was a poster in the boardroom that said there is no finish line. And I'm looking at it going, oh, my God, I love that. That's me. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and I don't even do sport. Like it took yeah. me 10 years to run a half marathon, right, yeah, because yeah. I was dead to do it at night. Yeah, yeah, no, so it's you know, just, you know, I was dead to, to, to run this half marathon and by an awesome, awesome director who's still at the company today. But, you know, so for me there's always improvement, yeah. right? There's always ways to do things better and more efficient and more quicker to increase service, whatever it is. And that has been my MO, my way of thinking, my ethos, my everything. Mm. And that's why I operated with our 3PLs, Mm. right, with our third-party logistics companies as well. You put in this mindset of, well, just because that's your personal best doesn't mean you can't improve on it. Of course you can. And you continuously push the boundaries. So that sort of stuff is not just for athletes or for for swimmers or, you know, track and field. It's, It's for everybody. You always, always need to aim to do better, you know. Yes. 
No, I agree. And I think one of the things that you said earlier about that vulnerability, fake it till you make it thing was really, really important because it is quite interesting the, the the switch that's happened from the fake it till you make it. You know, you've got to prove that you've got the best life, you've got you're the best at the job, you're the best at this, to this switch to the vulnerability. And I think that one thing that stood out about your speech in particular when we went to that panelling was the fact that you kind of you spoke about so many impressive things that you had done as us as you know sitting there in mid in our careers listening to you we're like wow this is fantastic it, you, you might not know it but it was quite intimidating you know hearing all these stories we're like wow that's inspirational it's motivating and then you kind of just like kind of disarmed everyone by being like by the way, I really hate public speaking. Like, yeah. I am so nervous. This is really nerve-wracking. Like, you don't understand how hard this is for me. And you kind of just, it just made us feel, and I said this to Mary when she first got here today, it kind of made you feel like I've known you for years just because mm. you kind of disarmed that whole, you know, that oh, fake it to make it. Like, this yeah. thing, you're, you're human. If I've made mistakes, that's okay. It kind of makes me feel like when you say things like that, it's like, oh, wow, okay, so you get nervous too? Yeah. Cool. All right, so do I. Okay. That's so, that's so, <laughs> yeah, it's disarming. It's, yeah. And I think, you know, like, I guess I've sort of been that, like, you know, that way for, for many a year. But when I actually did run the half marathon, like the day before or whatever, you know, I was saying to my husband, and I don't give my husband credit for anything. <laughs> and he's an awesome, awesome bloke. But, and we don't have kids and all of that sort of stuff, you know. We married quite, yeah, much later in life. But, you know, I said to and he was a footballer, right, and didn't get to, you know, like, the big league, but had trained at Carlton and stuff like that. But when he was 16, 17, 18, and then knee injuries, whatever. But so he sort of knew that athletic okay. mindset and he understood, you know, I've worked at Nike and we all, 90% of them are runners or 99% of them are. Yeah. I'm not, you know. Yeah. So I said to him, you know, I feel really, really nervous. I'm really scared. I feel really nervous. I've got butterflies. And he said to me, oh, Marie, uh, you know, if you've got, butterflies in your tummy and if you feel nervous that actually is a really good thing so he that made me feel really good yeah, because like it's that. like oh okay is that normal John and he's like yeah no that's normal yeah yeah, yeah. everyone that, does that you know? yeah 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 and it's like oh okay so sometimes you know you do need it's to feel a bit nervous like, yeah you so. need someone to reassure you <laughs> so okay. it's awesome that he reassured me that yeah. it's okay to feel like that so, yeah, yeah no definitely all right final question for you Marie what would you say the biggest piece of advice that you would tell your fresh out of school self okay confidence Confidence, yeah, just fuck the world. <laughs> <laughs> that is very on a T-shirt. I love that. Yeah. Fuck the world. Because that's what I think has held me back. And I know that I've had a great career and whatever, but mm. I think if I had to do it, all, I don't live life with regrets, as I said earlier, but if I had to do it all again, I would really invest time in myself to develop and drive confidence from within. It's taken me a long, long, long time. I think that, you know, feeling intimidated and not in a bad way, I guess, but just, you know, these people are so much better than me and I can never be like that. You know, getting rid of that sort of voice in your head. And I probably have a few more mentors in my life to help me through that sort of 
yeah. stuff, you know. When you're feeling lost, have someone yeah, there. Yeah, have someone there, you know, someone that you can talk to, you know, some mentors, you know, more than one mentor yeah. I think is really good. So that's what I would sort of tell my, you know, 21, 22, 23-year-old self and uh, and just, yeah, just get on with it, you know, develop yeah. the confidence and, and move forward, you know. I never had a career map, my mm. career mapped out. I never had a career plan. I probably would this time around, knowing okay. what I know. But, you know, I didn't come from a background where my friends were all, most of them didn't go to university, like the, the people I grew up with, guys and girls. And so, you know, I wasn't brought up in that way of thinking mm. sort of thing, whereas my niece, for example, she hears me and she sees she knows that it's important to have a career map yeah. and stuff she's like that. that those yeah. voices in here. Because she's yeah. just she's heard it. Yeah. So it's not something it's been that around her, yeah. I've had to teach her, so it's been around her a bit. So, you know, maybe just some tips around that sort of stuff and just invest. And you know what? If you want to stay at home and be a mum, that's bloody awesome as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, abs- yeah. You know that's fantastic. You, the career, you my dad was the only one that said that I could have had it all. The only person in my life that said, you know, because I've always right, people had people have always said, said oh, yeah, yeah, you know, even even women my age, yeah, my friends had sort of got married or whatever and had kids and like, oh, yeah, but you achieved what you achieved because you never married early. I think that's unfair. I think that's unfair. But it, it may not happen so much these days, but 25 years ago, 20 years ago, it was still that was sort of stuff was being said. Yeah. Yeah. It was different priorities. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, you know, that used to upset me and I'd say to my dad, oh, dad, you know, this is what so-and-so said or whatever and I'd tell him. And, you know, normally it was people of his generation Mm. and a little bit younger than him and he would say, oh, Rory, don't worry about it, you know. You would have found a way. You would have had it all, you know. You would have done it all. Yeah. You would have been tired but you would have done it all. Yeah, you would have been tired. But uh, that's, yeah, awesome to hear that from, you know, from an, a man, a man, yeah, yeah well, very progressive. Like that's incredible. oh yeah, he especially was, in a, like an very, old school, very Italian yeah. background. Yeah. Like I'm assuming, like quite Certainly traditional, old school quite, and yeah, traditional. Yeah, 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 but yeah. he was so he was the most progressive. He was the oldest in our group of family friends and aunts and uncles or whatever. And um, but he was the most. He used to drive me to the Chevron nightclub. Yes. Yeah, 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 he did. <laughs> right, <the Chevron laughs> commercial road. And when I told yep. him, Dad, you got to take me to you know Chevron nightclub, and this is in the late '80s, and he said, the Chevron, you're not going to the Chevron. I, I used to go there in the 50s, and but he did. He, you know, he goes, it's full of bodgies. You know, yeah. what's the word bodgy? I don't know. It's like some bad word or whatever. Guy wearing leather jackets was really bad. <laughs> some bullshit like that. But, you know, he drove us. Yeah, he yeah. us he supported, yeah. He's your biggest supporter. Yeah, you know, yeah. and he was 40 when I was born. So, you know, wow. when I was 20, he was 60. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. and he used to do this for us. And then we got our licence and all that. So he was taking us to underage nightclubs. No Underage, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so we were underage. Yeah. Nightclub, yeah. you had to be 18. And he knew you had to be 18 oh. and he would still take us. God. That's cool. Yeah, I was going to say, good yeah, so, yeah. You know, concert and stuff like that. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Incidentally, it's his birthday today, so, Aww, yeah, awesome. so that is pretty awesome. Oh, that is yeah. beautiful. It's cute. Oh, that sounds awesome. Well, look, firstly, I want to say a big thank you. What you thank said you. then about, you know, getting the voice out there and mentors and, and all of that, that's exactly what we're trying to achieve through this podcast and having people as fantastic as yourself on this podcast because all the nuggets of information, like hopefully everyone listening to this leaves this conversation the same way we are, where it's just kind of like, I want to go out there and I want to work on myself. Oh, no, I'm like, God, I need to work on that confidence piece because Penny and I speak to it a lot in the podcast where, you know, whether it's imposter syndrome or whether it's this or that or 
I don't know what it is, but you always get in your own head. And mm. I think you're completely right. It's all about working on yourself. And it's, yeah, it's a really important message. So I really appreciate it all. If you guys want to check the lovely Marie out, we will pop your LinkedIn into the show notes. Yes. And thank you so much again for listening today. Thank you, Marie, for being here. You have been a brilliant guest. I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot out of today. So thank you so much. And guys, don't forget, we will be back next week to have our Monday Mind Mug with you so we will see you then see you then bye Bye. thank you